All right, we are live uh, with the Deadly Analysis Podcast. Uh, thanks for watching tonight. Uh, I'm saying that at the very beginning as though the whole thing ended. That was really strange. Uh, so if you're new to listening to this podcast, this is a place where we basically talk about fear and philosophy. We talk about good horror movies and why they matter, and that's what we're going to be doing tonight. So if you're a new listener, uh, give us a shot. Try us out tonight. Uh, let this session be uh, a kind of audition if you will. Uh, speaking of auditions, I don't know how that segue happened. Amazing. Speaking of auditions, tonight we will be discussing the 1999 pin-pushing, bone-sawing, reversal of Japanese values body horror film directed by Takashi Miike, whose other films include, uh, I think, one of my favorite Japanese, it's not really a horror film, it's more of a super ultra gore porn fest, Ichi the Killer. Uh, and But tonight, audition is, is a little different. This is uh, one of the, uh, maybe the second, I think the second Japanese horror film we've done, maybe the first one. Um, trying to think of the other one we did. I know there was one of them in there. Um, but audition is essentially about a lonely Japanese widower named Shigeharu Ayama, whose son is planning to move out of his house. And he soon expresses uh, sadness to a friend and a fellow film producer who uh, becomes inspired to essentially hold an audition for a non-existent film so that this widower friend of his can select a potentially new bride from the resulting audition pool. So the widower uh, ultimately becomes enamored with and he becomes fascinated by one particular young woman, a woman who... Um, Let's just say she has some issues. Just some, We all have issues, right? But to put it mildly, she has some issues. Um, she's not what she appears to be, far from it. Um, and Ayama learns this uh, the hard way. I'll just put it at that. Um, so I, I guess I'll kick us off by maybe just giving my 30-second spiel about this movie. Um, I found it deeply disturbing. Deeply disturbing. One, I found it deeply disturbing that anyone would put the film on this list. Like, how dare you guys make me sit through those last 10 minutes? I should be blaming Jonah. This was his film. Um, but I think what I actually appreciated about Audition um, was that, like, the violence and gore is kind of earned in this movie. It's at the tail end, right? Uh, it leads up to it in a way that, for lack of a better term, makes you sort of appreciate it. It's not like a lot of American horror films, a lot of American torture movies, where there's, like, almost a sense of gore for the sake of gore. Uh, the pain sequences in this movie are really at the tail end of the film, and I think they're contextualized in a way as like something just clearly being led up to, right? Almost like, almost deserved in a kind of way. And that's one of the things maybe I want to pose to you guys tonight, maybe talk about it, 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 kind of an open question to me. The question did, you know, did Oyama have this coming in some sense? Um, but I want to contrast this movie with maybe like a series like Saw, right? Um, or, or even Hostel, I, you know, uh, uh, Eli Roth was... Um, heavily influenced by Takashi Miike, um, so much so that I think Takashi Miike actually has a like a, a sequence in uh, Hostel. Um, but uh, it, it just a very different sort of uh, film, the Saw series. It, it feels like a, you know Saw sort of aims at providing viewers with a torture-centric experience with characters that seemingly deserve it, and in much the same way that maybe we could look at some aspect of Audition. But I think what Audition does in a way that's superior to, to some of its American gore porn counterparts is that it draws out not so much the torture, right? The torture is like 10 minutes in this movie. It doesn't draw out the torture. It draws out what leads to the torture, what what comes before the torture. And I think that in turn as a tool kind of makes the torture that's actually in the film more, more uh, palpable, at least it did to me. You know, the majority of the film is nonviolent. It's really a drama almost, almost a, almost a weird romantic comedy, uh, you know, about a man who's essentially lost his wife. He's essentially looking for for love. Um, and in fact, a lot of the film is even mundane in a lot of respects, right? At least the first hour, there's a lot of sequences of just nothing really important happening. Um, and I think that focus makes the torture 
better. I mean, it kind of, it like marinates it for you, you know? And I, I dug that about this movie. I, I felt like there was a real patience in this film that felt kind of artful. And I'll be curious to see if you guys feel the same way. Um, so I believe this film was selected by our co-host Jonah, um, who's not with us tonight. Tonight I'm here with Jim, Shayra, and Ben. And I guess I'll, I'll kick it off by asking you guys, just throwing it out there. What did you got? What's your 30 second kick for audition? What did you think of the movie? I'll start. Uh, I've said this about one of the other films. I'll say it about this one. It's a rom-com. It is a rom-com. That's what this is. But this really legitimately is a rom-com. They purposely set it up to be a rom-com, and then they did a genre shift. And um, the way that Mike tried to edit it is to have this little bit of something that kind of fucks with you a little bit while you're watching the rom-com part. It seems so mundane. But I will say this. For me, I watched it this weekend not in 1999, after I've already watched tons of, you know, torture porn throughout my life. And um, it, was a, it wasn't as intense as some of the other movies I've seen. So I'm, I may be judgmental just because I watched it so late. I'm late to the party. Um, and I think this probably would have had a lot more oomph if the freaking cover didn't give away the whole fucking thing right off the bat. I mean, I know what I'm looking forward to. So for about an hour or so, I'm sitting there going like, get to the fucking torture. Rip this guy's heart out, motherfucker. So it sucks because I, I I feel like I would have had a lot more um, of a reaction from it if I had watched it in 1999 and not known what was coming at me. Yeah, plus when you when you think of this movie, right? When you say, oh, I'm going to watch Audition, everyone and their mom who's seen Audition goes, oh, get ready, get ready, right? And that you posted this on Facebook. And what what was all the responses? It was like, oh, there's the scene, get ready. And so you have that in your head. And, it, it, you know, you got to see this one of those movies. It's just better to see if you don't know anything about it. If you just, you haven't seen the cover of the film. You know what I mean? I, I totally agree with that. Uh, that was with uh, Dawn of the, uh, well, not Dawn of the Dead. What am I talking about? Dust Till Dawn. Uh, I watched that not knowing fucking shit. So I was like thinking it was this, you know, heist, you know, bad guys trying to get to Mexico movie. And all of a sudden, like a twist happens and you're like, oh, this, this, the genre shift, it affects you. It, it, it adds to that film. So, and I guess this probably would have affected me more if I would have known or wouldn't have known anything about a genre shift. Well, I didn't know that this was like world-class torture porn uh that that was not i i didn't look i didn't look at the cover i didn't read any synopses i just knew that this was a film that i would have to say something moderately intelligent about later on today now and uh so this was it, when the torture porn aspect of this film comes it did come as a moderate surprise to me however i did feel that there was enough lead up to it, so it wasn't a jarring shift. I think in in the case of From Dusk Till Dawn, as soon as all hell breaks loose in that bar, I was like, okay, we're in a different fucking movie now. This is crazy. I I, I thought that that was too jarring of a shift to the point where I, it, it almost it almost went full comic book on me. In this case, there was a lot of, nothing against comic books. Um, in this case, there was enough lead up to it and the relationship was ominous enough. The, we get a lot of uh, the, the friends, the friend character, um, I'm looking it up, uh, uh, Yashikawa. Um, He's he's giving us things to be suspicious about. So this didn't come as a jarring shift. Now that said, that 10-minute to torture sequence, 
part of me was really compelled by it. Part of me was, was affected by it because we had spent an hour and 15 minutes, maybe an hour and a half, um, getting to know these characters well enough that I had some sort of sympathy or empathy for them. Um, but I, I, at a certain point, I just got bored uh, because it doesn't, when there are no character or emotional stakes, and it seemed as though there were no character or emotional stakes at, in that situation, it just becomes body horror. It just becomes seeing cool ways, quote unquote, cool ways that uh, that we can mutilate the human body and that we can listen to a man scream in agony. Um, that said, I did think her performance, the the actress's performance, um, uh, I, I, I did think her performance was particularly creepy because we never see her smile. We never see her uh, express any sort of joyful emotion until the moment when she's shoving acupuncture needles under his eyelids. Um, that's... That that I thought was compelling. I thought it was compelling in the performance, but not necessarily in the way the story uh, led me up to it. And uh, not let me let me change that. Um, not necessarily in the fact that it is such a protracted sequence. Um, but yeah, I'll sort of throw it to to the rest of you. See what you guys want to respond to. Yeah, so I'm going to say with this, my favorite part has to be <clears throat> that slow buildup. I really do appreciate any movie that kind of does that well, right? Um, and even when you get to the part where in this movie there's sort of a, a switch between, you know, you have this, what Shara described as a rom-com, and then suddenly things start to get real weird. Um, I think they handled that particularly well. But... <sighs> Um, I, I I don't know. It's like it it seemed clumsy in in the retrospect after you get the payoff and after you figure out what what is really sort of happening in the movie. I think it, it was sort of clumsy and it seems sort of like forced that it was. Um, and and this is my interpretation. I, I assume that everyone else has this interpretation. And since we're we're allowed to have spoilers here, um, that it was essentially a dream sequence. <clears throat> And when you use that as, as a narrative tool, uh, <laughs> like, I don't know, it's like, it, it's really sort of tenuous ground. And, and maybe you don't have a lot of that in, in Japanese cinema, but in American culture, I feel like it's really kind of like tired as a trope. Um, and I really don't appreciate that as being the ultimate resolution. It's where, you know, it's, it's him having this sort of this anxiety and this nightmare after they connect that this is how it's going to turn out. And I mean, I don't know. It's like, I, I really didn't appreciate that too much. Now with the gore itself, you know, I feel like it, it was a little bit understated. Um, and I, that's probably not everyone else's reaction, but it seemed to be fairly mild. It's not like they went overboard with it. It seemed like what you might expect if you had like this really deranged psychotic person who stalks you and like gets you in your home, kind of like a Dexter kind of thing, right? They don't go full hostile with it. So that was probably well done. Um, but overall, yeah, I mean, there, there were aspects of it that I seemed really awkward. Um, even like with the emotional part though, that's, that's not really one of them for me. I, I know Jim mentioned that about like the emotional content. And I think that's something you can probably expect from Japanese film. You know, the way that they, I think, portray their emotions and communicate is probably going to be a little bit different than, than Americans do. Um, you know, we're probably a little more overt with our, our emotional reactions and they're probably easier to pick up on where things are going to be a little bit more subtle. And so I, I, I think that's totally acceptable. Um, but yeah, in summation, like there, I really appreciated the overall subtlety of the film, but there were a few points that were awkward. 
um, that I really didn't appreciate too much. Yeah, uh, to your point about it um, being like a dream sequence, the interpretation I got from it was even more so. Like, I, I feel like the narrator is not someone I can trust. I feel like he's an alcoholic who is rewriting what the actual situation is. Uh, he's way too perfect and nice. He's this nice guy, and he's good, and he has waited seven years since his wife died, and he's started his own business, and he has a good relationship with his son, and everything's so perfect. He's such a nice guy. Everything's so fucking nice, 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 nice. And then a crazy chick comes into his life, and she's so crazy. It's such horseshit. Like, this is exactly what a freaking alt-right like crazy mra dude would freaking write as a story like i was a nice guy the, the crazy girl came and did a crazy thing to me like it's so bullshit now i can't trust him because of his his um hallucinations and whatever the fuck was going on at the end i i, I guess you could call it a gainx ending you know the animes were like all of a sudden shit hits the fan and it's crazy land and you have to try to interpret it properly it's maybe a Japanese thing that I just don't get. I, I don't know if I could trust him throughout the whole story or if I, I just can't trust him at the end. I don't know what, what part you guys trust in the storytelling. So are we reading, Ben, from what I get from your reading is that you're saying that the entire torture sequence was just part of this guy's dream after he sleeps with his his budding girlfriend and and Shayra you you seem to be along the same lines that this was that this is uh uh Ayama's that it, the entire film is from Ayama's perspective and that therefore you don't think that you you don't think that you can believe what you're seeing on the screen. Am, am I understanding that correctly? Here's, here's where I have a problem trusting him as a narrator. When he's giving the auditions, he goes along with this. And by the way, his friend is an amazing actor. You might know him from uh, Kill Bill. He's the one that gets his head chopped off <laughs> for trying to talk shit to women. <laughs> but um, no, uh, uh, when they're, when they're going there, it seems like it's the friend who's the one asking them all the creepy questions and getting them to do creepy things. And he's sitting there so innocently. But, you know, this is for him to find someone to fuck. And that's really a creepy thing to want to do. And I understand he's trying to find love, too. But that's still really creepy. And, and doing something like that is wrong. And he even talks about how he thinks it's wrong in the beginning. But he still goes along with it. And the way that it's portrayed is he still tries to make it innocent, even though he's doing something wrong. And oh, I, I see what you're wonder, saying. I just have to wonder, like, is he rewriting the story for us so we can think that he's a good guy? Yeah, so uh, he's like, in your interpretation, he's like deferring the creepocity onto his friend, right? And he's the good guy. I gotcha. Okay. Yeah, it's, uh, for, for the dream sequence part, like, um, I just want to say, like, I'm, I'm referring to a very specific scene. Um, and just to kind of, like, pinpoint why I think that's sort of the narrative tool that went on here, right? So it's like, for, for the beginning of the movie, you see him talking with his friend and his son and he decides to do this audition and it kind of like goes to this place where he picks out this girl and then he decides to propose to her and then they get to that scene where they're in the bedroom and then it's you know it's it's implied that they sleep together but then he wakes up and like you know startled and he's alone and from that point until the torture happens and she goes to spray his son in the face i think all of that is dream because like there's this scene that they insert there where he's back in bed 
and he wakes up again and she's still there and they kind of have like a brief conversation and then he falls back asleep and all the weird shit happens again. So that's, that's kind of where I'm getting that interpretation that like big parts of all the, the worst aspects of this movie and like her, her kind of like psychotic behavior is all his sort of like anxiety dream. Well, yeah. It, it, when he goes mm. back in, when he drinks the alcohol and passes out and falls and hits his head, um, part of the hallucination changes to going back to all of his dates again. And she's starting to say crazy things on those dates now, almost like he's rewriting history to make her have this really horrible background. I thought I mean, it was the parts. I thought those sequences were the parts that we, as the audience were missing that we later get to see almost like flashbacks. That's what I thought was going on. I thought we were filling in the gaps of the if story. That's we how it is, I would yeah. love that. Um, I don't, I don't know. I can trust him though. He's like all wonked out. Like he, passed out and knocked his head down and now he's telling us that part i don't know is is he a trustworthy narrator is well, that's, that's how i interpreted it too uh at first like you see kind of like these these scenes as as he sees them and but you get like these these points where people are telling him that love is blind and like it kind of makes you see things weird so his son wants to meet this girl his friend wants to kind of give him sort of an objective view and then later on, you kind of see like the different version of the scene where she's giving him all this this information about her backstory that maybe he glossed over. So that's how I interpreted it at first until I came to the realization, or at least the conclusion, I'll say, that like all of that was just literally just like a dream. Um, so, you know, I don't know. It is it's hard to like pick out what layers it's almost like Inception, right? It's like what layer is reality, right? You know, there, there's a few different things going on and you kind of have to like try to piece it together to figure out what the the overall narrative is and what's just you know the inner story the other interpretation i took from it is maybe he had rose-colored glasses which we do when we fall in love we avoid all the ooky stuff and we just focus on all the good things and maybe when he yeah. took that drink in and knocked his head down he might have went wait she did say this and this oh my god bitch be, bitch be crazy like I, maybe he was just put piecing it all together and, and figuring it all out that that's how i took it that's how i interpreted the movie um, yeah, I, I kind of saw it that way. I, I, I never even really considered um, at all that that entire last set of sequences is all a dream, including the torture sequence. I mean, we learn more about uh, Oyama and the sequences about his past with um, his coworker, who's kind of like, you know, waiting on him and that he slept with her. We learn, you know, um, he's got sexual frustration. He's got the stuff with his son and his girlfriend. So I saw the sequences as, as we're learning, we're, we're getting more of the story really quickly at the end. We're getting um, a larger picture, more puzzle pieces are coming together. Um, I, I don't know what to think of thinking of that entire thing as a dream sequence. I don't know. I don't know if the entire thing was the dream sequence, but Why, isn't a Isn't that lot what you're saying, is... Ben, that it, all of it is? Up until some, yeah, certain I point. Mean, there's a lot to recommend Ben's point of view um, because there is a very clear section where he falls asleep, a whole bunch of crazy shit happens, including he has the drink, falls down, hits his head, blah, 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 and then she comes in, cuts his foot off, and blah, 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 and then he wakes up, she's still there, um, and then at the end of the film, we actually close with uh, her lying dead or paralyzed, retelling part of the story and he lying there as well and saying something like, well, isn't that how life is? Like this, there's a lot to recommend Ben's interpretation that this entire thing was part of his psychosexual um, fear, uh, that, that fear of sexuality, fear of women, 
um, fear of of human interaction. And there, so I, I sort of understand Ben's interpretation. I just wonder, it, like, the film is so almost boringly um, traditional in its storytelling. One thing happens, which leads to the next thing, which leads to the next thing. And then at hour, an hour and 15, I know this specifically because I stopped, I paused it to be like, okay, this is where the film jumps the fucking shark. And that is when he wakes up. And then there's also this intercut uh, bit with the piano, the, the ballet teacher and the, 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 the origin of the scars on her leg, which gets super fucking creepy. And on and on and on, like there's after the jump the shark moment, it's I, it, the film almost becomes, it, it turns into complete postmodernism where we're left wondering what is real, what is truth, what is objective reality, what is going on, does he still have a foot? And I think that many of our our interpretations are going to fall on fall on on a spectrum of well this is what i believe to be real and this is what i don't believe to be real or uh like and that's the spectrum like our interpretations are going to depend upon where we place ourselves in that spectrum which events we believe to be things that actually happen and i think that there's a lot to recommend ben's interpretation that from an hour and 15 all the way till the end nothing's it's up, nothing up in the air, it's up in the air yeah Right. Well, think about it. He he hallucinates after he falls and hits his head, but he hallucinates again when he sees his son. His son goes, "Dad, what's going on?" And then a hallucination again, and then, "Dad, what's going on?" See, what? I thought it's she real. Had, I thought she had poisoned his his um, glass because remember we get this camera, this sort of POV. Uh, yeah, I, I interpreted where, it that way that she poisoned yeah. his glass, but and then, once again, do I trust the narrator on that? That's that's where I have sure. a hard time with it. Like. Because here's the thing. He's having a perfectly wonderful time with this woman. She's everything. But there's obviously some mystery left to her. And that scares people. I know. I know. I've been single before. Jesus Christ. And I've dated people online. I married someone <laughs> that I met online. It is scary as fuck to know what is really going on with this person. Are they a freaking serial killer? Who fucking knows? It's scary. Um, and it, I think it plays into those fears. Now, he, his thing is that he's looking for someone who is subservient and obedient. He uses the word obedient all the time. He's looking for a woman who's obedient. He's looking for a very traditional woman who does traditional things. Like, her skills are traditional. And her place in the relationship would be traditional. And the way that she would treat him is traditional. And I think he just has a lot of fears of the new and of women who might be strong and, and have their own, you know viewpoints and opinions and abilities and being able to function without you like you know what i mean because he wants sort of possibly have a job you know it, it he's afraid of a strong woman and i think it just uh might be the crazy dream hallucination of a woman who might not be traditional underneath it all i don't know yeah okay. i mean go I was just going to say, I, I'm so angry that you guys are making me look at this movie this way now. I'm going to tell you why, because this actually, you're, the point, I, the central point I wanted to make about this movie makes way more sense on your view now. And now I'm mad. 
I'm going to tell you why. It's exactly at the point where they, they sleep together or he sees her naked, where if you look at this film through the perspective of something like power and who has it throughout the film, that's the moment where everything transitions violently. It just goes from him having everything to her. And so it makes more sense in that kind of context to see this as a dream sequence where all of his back-end fears are coming out, all of the things about, uh, you know, and and not actually beyond dreamlike. There, there, even before this, he's, he's, he's starting to uh, pursue her. And after this, he looks for her, rather. After the sequence, he looks for, he's trying to find her when she disappears. Um, beforehand, it was like she was waiting for him by the phone, right? Even that little creepy sequence. Like, even then, she's waiting for his call. He's got a call on her, right? There's all these, like, male entitlement power shit that we could go into, all the stuff that's really obvious, right, in the first hour and 15 between him and his friend. And that all is very male-centric, male-dominated. But the moment, the moment he sees her naked, the moment they sleep together, bam. It's flipped. And I think that did something. Titty power. So we, yeah, that's exactly what it is. That's exactly what it is. The moment, the moment he he realized the uh, the boobosity of his situation, right? The moment that happened, everything flipped. And I think, you know, if you look at that as like a dream sequence, if you look at that as being that kind of transition, that kind of makes sense. Right? This is where he's and freaking out. He's wigging out. the underlying weirdness is really just his own anxiety of moving on and having another partner. It's just him being, I mean, think about when they were at the bar hanging out and there's a group of girls. I remember I was watching this with Kylie too. We're, we're watching this and these girls are at a table and they're laughing and having drinks. And they're like, ah, oh, Japan's going to shit. Women sitting here laughing, having fun, having drinks. And they're like pissed off about it. And we're like, what the fuck is their problem? Like they have some serious problems with women uh, being able to do certain things. They're very traditional. And uh, the second that she was like, look at my tits, look at my hot ass, look at my fucking sexy ass legs. He was like, oh shit. And she even told him, I don't know if you noticed, she was like, do this, do that. Do not put your clothes on, do this, yeah, do that. She, she was in control and I think he liked it and was also scared of it. Cause he, I don't know. I, I know guys get a little uncomfortable with that kind of stuff sometimes. They like to be, I'm the head of the relationship. That's still even an American thing. Maybe not as much here as in Japan, but that's still like a, guys want to be the head of the household. And uh, she was like, no, you're going to do this. You're going to touch me there. You're going to look at this. You're not going to do that to yourself. <laughs> He's like, yeah, I, I still, I still, no. I still, I still say that to my wife. Whenever we get into a fight and we're at an impasse, I just look at her and I'm like, you know, I'm the, I'm the man. I'm the head of this household. And that's when she beats me. That's when she, that's when she beats me. So, and, and for good reason. <laughs> yeah. And I, but I want to go back to what you said about them at the bar, because I think it's more than just like, oh, you know, the, 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 you know, the, the both of them looking at the young women, I, I think it's, it's more than just, you know, their idea of like, oh, traditional Japan's going to shit, gentlemen, entitlement shit. It's actually so much deeper than that. It's actually very Nietzsche. And it's very, I can't get that. Right. I can't get that. So I'm, it's, 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 uh, they're not virtuous. They're going to shit. This place is going to shit because look at them. They're having fun. They're young and they're good looking and I'm old, right? I can't have that. They know they can't have that. And so I think that goes back to, I hate you guys because now, now I'm so tempted to take your, your interpretation way more seriously because that is that is just an underscoring of when he finally does get that, you know, she's younger. When he finally does get that, he wigs out all the more, right? Yeah. I can yeah. I can actually vouch for this. There are a lot of guys who will get amazing women, and there's a whole narrative that other guys will say to you when you get an awesome woman. You're like, oh, what do you you have a big dick or you have a lot of money? That's the only way a woman like that would like you. There's so much negativity towards a man, like he has to be all these things for any 
perfect woman to like him. And um, I've seen this time and time again, even with my own husband, there was a lot of people talking a lot of shit about us and acting like there's no way he could get someone like her unless he's doing this or that or blah, blah, blah. And they, they were really mean to him. Like they practically bullied him off the internet at one point in time over this weird bullshit idea that I was too good for him, which is bullshit. Yeah, um, but we call Daniel the big dick millionaire. So that doesn't make any sense. <laughs> I don't know. That doesn't make the any only, sense. That's the only way it makes sense is if he has a big dick and has lots of money. But it's so stupid. Like, there's no reason why a, a pretty 24-year-old sweet girl wouldn't like this guy. If he is all the things that he's being portrayed as. If he's uh, loved his wife, he takes good care of his son, he has a good career going, that he started his own business. Like, why wouldn't a 24-year-old girl like him? Maybe that's, that's part ridiculous. of the shame. Yeah, maybe that's part of the shame of it all. Yeah, and and so like he is a a perfectly good partner for someone to have, and yet he's letting these fears that he's not good enough for someone that beautiful like just make him crazy, really, not her, him. I don't know. <laughs> he has to try to rewrite it so it makes sense to him because he just has a, a huge amount of insecurities. Go go ahead, Jim. Jim looks like he's <laughs> about ready to pop. Well, I I'm I'm struggling with this because I don't, like, I'm wondering how much of this is set up in the first hour and 15. Now, the way I'm reading this film is that the first hour and 15 is almost third person objective. Like, I'm, I'm thinking that I, I wouldn't be mistaken in taking the first hour and 15 minutes of this film at face value. These are the things that happened over the course of this time. Um, now, we can talk about, uh, Shayra's trying to throw throw wrenches in that and say, no, he's an, he's an unreliable narrator throughout the entire thing. And I, in that case, then it's all, you know, who fucking knows what goes on in this movie. Um, but if we take the first hour and 15 as an objective uh, view of what happened, then of course we see the male entitlement and, and even the idea that you would hold an audition under suspicious or deceptive principles. That's all bullshit of, you know, he, there's almost the, that's the original sin of the film. But I'm wondering what do we know or what do we see about their relationship over the course of that and what do we see of his character over the first hour and 15 that makes us think that he is so insecure that he would, the first thing that would happen after having sex with her is that he would just, well, clearly now she's going to cut off my foot. Like, it's, I don't, I don't, see how all of this has been set up to the point where the person I knew over the first hour and 15 would be the person who would have these fears and anxieties in the last half hour. And maybe that, that gives more credence to Shara's completely unreliable narrator, but Maybe, or maybe it's a flaw in the film, or maybe we should try to figure out and tease out um, the person we know and the character and the relationship that we get over that first hour and 15, and then sort of try and reverse engineer like how that guy could have those fears. Um, 
in in the last half hour. Am I making any sense for right here? You yeah, look that, a little. Yeah, crazy. that makes that no, that makes total sense. I mean, maybe we should start by asking: Is he is he somewhat obsessive about this? Like, let's start there. Like, is he is he, you know? He starts well, out falling in love with her picture. I mean, if that was love at first sight, boom, like that. And he was looking at her when the, all those other girls were coming. He was still looking at the back of her like, yep, that's the one. Like, he was already in love with her. But he he falls in love with, I, yes, he falls in love with the picture. And yes, she's, she's pretty and blah, 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 blah. But he falls in love with the idea that she understands loss the way he does. And that is... That seems to be a deeper connection than just she's hot. Um, it seems to be that she, he believes that she is able to understand this part of him um, that is that 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 has been animating his seven years of assumed celibacy. And so I don't. Like I'm, I, I, I wait. I I want to just point out. I am not saying that he is just looking at her as a sexual object. I okay. have this weird idea in my head. And this is just you guys are gonna learn something new about me here. I'm gonna get personal. I have this theory about people like me. <laughs> broken people like broken people. We are attracted to broken people because we know that broken people can get our brokenness and and help us out with understanding other parts of ourselves. You try to That's, talk to a non-broken person when you're a broken person, they're just like, what? What's wrong with you? And you're like, oh, I'm so insecure. I think that he was attracted to her brokenness. That's, um, yeah. That's but exactly I still think point. it was a little surface. Like he's never talked to her, but he was in love with her. It's still love at first sight. That's still very surface. But yes, I think he did fall in love with her brokenness. I, would make and, and I don't think he realized how broken she was, but <laughs> go ahead. Yeah, no, I would make the argument too that just giving this a little bit of charity, when you fall for someone, when you get a crush on someone in real life, I, <laughs> I think that's always kind of surface, right? Like you have to grant that a little bit like, okay, yes, you know, when you're really interested in someone, you don't actually know who they are. You know, it's going to be the idea of that person that you build up in your mind. It's going to be on things like physical attraction, you know, just things that you don't really, I mean, that, that you have to connect with in a way that you're just connecting with yourself because it's just your idea, right? So, I'm, you know, I, I'm not going to judge that too harshly, but I also kind of want to point out that, yes, you know, on top of the seven years that this person has waited before dating anybody, he has to turn his wife's picture away when he's even looking at these these little applications or whatever they are, these essays, he can't even have her face turned toward him while he's doing this. And so I think it's obvious that he feels an immense amount of guilt. Part of his dream sequence is in that restaurant, his wife is there telling him, this is not the person, this is not the person. And so I don't think it's necessarily too difficult to hook up the, the kind of insecurities that we see with the real person from the first half of the movie. Because I mean, he does seem to show those signs of, of deep, just like, you know, just guilt for even thinking about thinking about someone else. You know, even if he does have that attraction, following through, through with it, like he just, he, he can't handle those, those two thoughts simultaneously in his head that, you know, he still loves the wife that he lost and he's looking for somebody else. You know, I definitely think there's seeds of that there. Yeah, so going back to your question, Jim, maybe maybe based off what Shayra and Ben have said, maybe it's more what happens. I, to me, it may be more of the stuff that happens after or during the dream sequence that's informative, as opposed to they've built this character for an hour and 15 minutes this way. And so 
interpreting the dream sequence in post hour and 15 doesn't make sense if you do it this way. I mean, maybe it's everything that's happened. In other words, maybe the brunt of it is more or less what happens after and maybe relying on the fact that a lot of this is deeply subconscious and psychological and some of it may be diffused through a kind of Japanese culture. There's a lot of background stuff, I think, that we maybe want to think about. It could just be that it was it, it was bad filmmaking, although for me to sit here and say that about this kind of a film, I feel is very uh, haughty of me, but it could be, right? It could be. Um, so. Yeah, but it, it could just be the the stuff that happened after. I don't know. Or 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 we could just all be Monday morning quarterbacking. We could all be reading ourselves into it. I, I can't. I'm not entirely sure where to go. Like what to believe. To be honest with you, now I'm way more sympathetic to what Shayron Benner is saying now because so, like some of the points that I have here that we'll get into, if I contextualize them, they make more sense now given given this sort of interpretation. And I can buy that. I mean, I can buy him having all these fears pop out. I mean, just think of being a human. Just think of being a person, being you. I mean, there's a lot of times where you can just, something happens, you think you got it all together and some event happens in your life and you go through a fucking crazy wild dream. You wake up the next day and you're not entirely the person you were before because of certain thoughts or some something that really quickly triggers a big change in you, even if it's a, a subconscious thing. So I, 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 I'm not too skeptical. I don't think I'm as skeptical as you, but I'm 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 skeptical. I, I don't think I'm as skeptical, but I'm skeptical. I right. I, I just want to point out. Uh, I had this thought in my head when I was watching some of the torture sequence and uh, thinking it was possibly a metaphor for how he was feeling being with this woman, and uh, when she's happily doing this with her piano wire, I was just thinking of Tommy Wiseau going, you're tearing me apart, Lisa. Like, I think it's a metaphor for like how you feel when someone has that much control over you and 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 could hurt you so easily and, and rip your heart out. Like it's, that's the way I saw it. <laughs> you know? I, I, have, I have never been so fast to video edit two sequences from two different films together. Thank you. That is going on my list. Now that's a hell of a mashup. <laughs> um, but yeah, I, <laughs> It's even better than the Tommy Wiseau Darth Vader thing. You're tearing me apart as he's holding the uh, the uh, uh, rebel. Up. Anyway, black ass. Um, so yeah, I mean, I wasn't necessarily saying that we should con condemn the film. I, I mean, that was sort of one of the three options as I was trying to make sense of this. That maybe maybe it's bad filmmaking, or maybe there's something deeper going on here. Um, I don't. You know, the idea that you that that a person who seems to be relatively decently adjusted—I mean, Ben's right—that that having the wife turned away uh, while he's looking at these applications might be a sign of some some anxiety. It's certainly a sign that he, he hasn't totally let go, but then He's again, also in denial about his affair he had with the chick he works with. I mean, oh, he acts like right. it never yeah, even yeah. fucking happened. He has a lot of guilt that he kind of just hides from him, his own self even. It's like self-delusion almost. But can, you know? hold on, can I ask, what's, um, what, what concrete evidence was there? Like, maybe, maybe you're reading into this, right? Because like his, his secretary came up and said, you know, I'm getting married soon. And then she kind of like shows up in, in part of that dream sequence. Is that where you're sort of, uh, extrapolating? I think he had an affair with her. I think he had an affair with her and he felt yeah. extremely guilty about it. And he was trying to be in denial that it ever happened. That's why when she mentioned she was getting married, what she was actually saying, please notice me, please notice me, senpai, please notice me. It's so obvious she wants attention from him and she, she doesn't get that attention. He's like, oh, that's great, whatever. Why would, I don't care. 
And then yeah, he just goes on the agree. elevator. Completely agree. So he's a self-denial about his own actions that he feels extraordinarily guilty about. Yeah, and Jim, you, you mentioned like being, you know, he seems like a fairly adjusted person, but you know, you can be a, a, a well-adjusted person and still pop. I mean, especially subconsciously when you're dreaming and shit. I mean, you could that can still happen, man. And oh when you're God. moving on from having experienced such a horrific thing as your partner that you love more than anybody on the planet dying like that, like it's really hard to move on in that way. So, Jim, this film is fucking Inception. It's a violent version of Inception. Just get on board. No, yeah, I. Uh, I'm okay yeah. with the violent version of Inception. <laughs> right? That's I, that's a fine interpretation. There's a lot to recommend that interpretation. Um, I just wish that there were more like Joseph Gordon-Levin and Tom Hardy with gun sequences. So is there, so for you, it's just, it's just not very clear. It could be way clearer. There could be way more, way it more. It totally could. Like yeah. I, I could be completely wrong and it could easily be explained why I'm completely wrong. That's just, that's the, the place where I tend to be directing my interpretation towards, you know, just because of how shady he actually is in the inside. And I, I've met a lot of people like this, and I know you guys have too. On the surface, they're like the do-good or perfect people. They work for charities and they help people and they're always doing good and they have the nice house and the perfect fucking family and everything's fucking perfect. You know there's something going on under that surface. You know it. And I've lived it. I've lived under that surface, you know, where uh, I had a family that looked perfect, but there was a lot of demons going on in that household, you know? So maybe I am just throwing my own life story in there, but it, it does feel that way. Like he's trying to hide from the realities of his world, the, the world he lives in. And, and yet you, I feel like that's true even with the dream sequence being true or false because he even has a fantasy of his son's girlfriend trying to give him a blow job. That's some fucked up shit right there. Like he's got some underlying weirdness going on with him. I don't know. He's got some sexual fears. He's got some sexual issues that he's working through. And, it, you know, I, I think that um, I, I can see this film being cut both ways. You know what I mean? I, and I, we've, we've touched on we've touched on a, a, an issue that I, I kind of want to jump into, too. And that is, you know, is Ayama a, a bad person? Like, do you guys think he's a bad person? I don't I, believe I, in good or bad. <laughs> yeah, yeah. Nihilist, you bastard nihilist. Uh, yeah, I mean, like, do, what would we want to say? about Oyama, like the, the entire, this was one of Jonah's biggest criticism. He's not here tonight, but this was his thing is, I, I had posted something in our Facebook group and he had said, um, I think he had gone so far as to say something like, and he can correct me uh, if I get this wrong, that sort of what Ayama did by having the audition with Asami and everyone else was as bad as what Asami eventually ends up doing to him, which I think is a, a fairly extreme thing to say. But maybe let's take that on one end and then on the other end, let's say uh, Oyama's totally innocent and that the other, the opposite perspective is that his actions are, you know, part of a diffused set of cultural norms that he's just not cognizant of, right, in Japanese culture. Those two being, those two extremes, where do you guys fall? He did something creepy and felt bad about it and had a crazy dream because he felt bad about it. <laughs> That's my interpretation. But if I take away that that be if I if I if I go into the world where she really did do these things, um, I, I think it would have to boil down to uh and, and according to the book, this was what her character had said was the problem. It wasn't that the audition was not what made him bad. What made him bad was he lied to her. That's what yeah. she was mad at him about. In the, in the book, that's what she's mad at him about, is lying. And, um, and not necessarily about the audition, about loving her. He feels yeah. like 
she feels like he doesn't truly love her. And um, when you see the creepy, when she's like a gremlin running through the house and we're seeing from her perspective and she's looking at stuff, I mean, look at what she looks at. Look at all the things she looks at. Obviously, the last thing she looks at is the alcohol, which is why we can interpret that she poisoned the alcohol. But one of the things she looks at is his wife's picture is still on his desk. And she well, said, see, you only love me. And, and she knew there were others. Yeah, but see, but I think that's, she's, that, she's, that's her issue. I would argue that that's her problem. Her, her, that's, that's, seeing the, that's seeing Oyama from the perspective of Asami, right? But let's ask from the perspective of, of like us as the audience. Do we think that what he did essentially was, I mean, do you think he's a bad person, I guess? Because I feel like how I don't wish torture on anyone, I'll put it Yeah, down. yeah, well, yeah, yeah, <laughs> yeah, yeah. Uh, yeah, I mean, I I um, I tend to fall on the idea that he he's he's a good he's actually a really good person I think, but he just made some mistakes, made some made some issues. I think he's I I think it's like a a combination of him. I mean, like I I you you have empathy for Ayama, right? And that's kind of a weird thing to have for someone that's about to get you know the shit tortured out of him, right? Like it, there's there's all this character development, and you learn his backstory, and you see his struggles, and you're with him there. I mean, it's literally the first hour and fifteen minutes of the film, but then there is this thing where he treats women like objects. There's a lot of objectification in this, right? Um, and this goes back to actually the idea of this being somewhat of a rom com because what's the main thing you see in almost every fucking Matthew McConaughey rom com there is? The idea of the male protagonist doing hiding something from someone. In this case, it's you know, uh, it was an audition or he had, a, he had a wife and he has a kid. He loves someone else, for God's sakes, right? But the point is, there's this, like, duplicity. Not duplicity. Duplicity is different. That's from Creep. If you don't know yeah, what I'm talking about, it's go only Creep. It's only duplicity if Mark Duplass is in the <laughs> film. And unfortunately, Mark Duplass was not in Takashi Miike's. Yeah, but yeah, go ahead. Yeah. yeah, no, this is just duplicity. If it's duplicity, I, this would be a way more violent film. But no, it's duplicity. Yeah, so, I mean, I... I, I you know, it, that's that's a very um, central part of a lot of rom-coms is the male, he has to do something now, he has to vindicate himself, he has to win the woman back, right? And and that's something like that is in this film too. But anyway, I'm jumping all over the place. I just, uh, I'm really- you're, you're trying to organize your thoughts and that's cool. Like, like get, get it out, speak it out. I, I'm interested as to where, if you, I don't, where your if travel. I, if I don't, I'm gonna have some crazy ass dreams tonight. That's all I'm saying. If I don't get this out and work this through guys, have some crumble. Yeah, it's gonna be nuts. Just don't drink any hard liquor. <laughs> in your dreams. No, yeah, I, yeah. I'm gonna I'm gonna drink this, and then I'm gonna be dreaming of Matthew McConaughey being like my son's boyfriend. It's gonna go crazy. I don't want to. Yeah. Well, Tom's a flat circle, so. Uh, <laughs> um. All right. Yeah. I. So is he is he a bad person? You know. Of course, I I sort of see Shayra's. I don't see good or evil. Blah blah blah. But. The way it works in the film is he does a thing that as the audience, we know it's wrong. We know that holding an audition for people to be your girlfriend and lying to them about it is a bad thing. That's not how you online date. Um, it's, and that is enough to, in the, at the end of the film, to, to some degree justify the internal logic of uh, the the character of the female character whose name I'm forgetting right now, Noah Asami. Asami, thank you. Um, so it it's it's bad enough to justify the internal logic of Asami as the film pro progresses, but from an objective moral point of view, 
of course we're not you know it is the it is the stance of the deadly analysis podcast that you should not try to date women this way um, wait a minute it's a nonetheless nonetheless it is the venial sin I'd like to ask a question though this is I don't know why it just all of a sudden came up but I think this is an important question he didn't even try dating in any other fashion he went straight for the fucked up place like he didn't even try any of the normal ways he was just like I think I need to get married you know what right. yeah let's do this crazy fucking right. thing what the hell bro like that's a jump you You're go at- from not even needing a wife to like let's fuck with some other women's like dreams and, and put out a commercial that sounds all happy like Julia Roberts was doing this, that, and the other. It was doing what you're doing right now, but she became famous and you can too with happy music. Like, the fuck? That's fucked up. Like, they're psychologically damaged. I'm sorry. Only a crazy person would put out an ad like that. Well, in point of fact, I think it was the friend who wrote that Intensely still, fucked up advertising. Still, but why would you jump to that place first instead of doing traditional dating so, methods? But so we also it. don't know. Uh, yeah, we we also don't know about the relationship between he and his secretary. Now that is, it's also not traditional dating methods to fuck your subordinates. Like that's that's bad too. As I was telling Harvey Weinstein just the other day, like <laughs> it's bad to do that. Um, but I like. The audition within the structure and the content of this film, it's a venial sin, in my view, to have this incredibly deceptive. It's a sin, but it's not, it's certainly not along the lines of cutting off someone's foot and shoving acupuncture needles in their eyes. That's a little, that's an extreme. She was trying to help him with his problems, she was, she was being helpful. And loving. <laughs> She's Deeper. confusing Deeper. nice and mean again. So I, but you know, I think we're, I think we're being a little harsh on Ayama. I'm gonna, I'm gonna play devil's advocate here because I feel like, you know, yeah, he could have tried a, a ton of other ways, but like, not to sound incredibly stupidly poetic here, but like dating is performative. It's like putting on an audition, right? Like that's what dating is. Online dating is like that. Meeting someone at a bar is like that to a certain extent. I think that's somewhere floating around this film is kind of the point. I mean, one of the points I think I I don't, I'm not too hard on him necessarily because he overtly did something that I think we've all done when we meet someone attractive for the first time, right? Or when we're dating rather. So I, I, I want to be careful how hard we slam Oyama for, for his, uh, for his, you know, for what, what he did. What was really That's happening a was a reverse audition because he was the one who was being fake. She was the one being real throughout the whole thing. She was being honest about all the different kinds of stuff that goes on in her life. She was even honest about how she was hurt by him not calling her for a couple of days and how excited she was to go. She was the only one being completely forthright, whereas he was being extremely fake in a lot of ways. And that's why she considers him a liar. And it's not the worst sin that you deserve to get your foot cut off, but he was being pretty fake. Like he was doing a lot of fake things that um, he was toying with her, you know? And she took control of the situation in the best way she knew how, which is with titties. And uh, and that made him upset. He didn't like that she had shattered down his walls. That makes so it makes other, uh, other than the audition, what did you think he was being dishonest about? I mean, obviously he didn't say anything about his wife and his son, 
but I can forgive that. I can I can see that as just something you say at a certain point in time, right? I, I, other That's something than, you say at the beginning. If I'm dating someone and they have a 17-year-old son and their wife died of cancer seven years previous and you don't tell me that on the first date, what the really? fuck is wrong with you? I, I, that's a, I, apparently a lot with me. I, I don't know if the first date, if that if I was in the book, if I would just- Maybe not the first, him. but at least at the fifth. Like he dated her multiple times. He, he'd taken her on a special vacation for the weekend and he still never told her about them. I that's think that, say that it's definitely not the first date. That's probably not the appropriate venue, but at least before you plan to propose to them, like, you know, somewhere between <laughs> there. True. Yeah, that's he true. was planning on proposing, and he still didn't even tell her that he had a son. And she, like, that's crazy to me. Like, but if he would have, so, so I guess what you're saying, Sherry, is like, okay, so if he would have, right? Like, if he would have said that, do you think that his honesty would have led to Asami not killing him? Because I don't think so. I think she would have still. Oh, I don't him. know. She was she was crazy town. If all that stuff was, if all the end sequence was real, she was crazy town. But yeah, it might not have led to that. You know. It might not have even gotten to that point if he would have just been honest and open about what was going on. And I don't know. There's a weird situation that happens when she's mid-torture. She starts talking about his son and is like, I'm going to I'm gonna do it to him, too. Why would she want to torture the son? What did yeah, he well, fucking do? So I, I understood that whole thing to be let, she's torturing him not because he was duplicitous I'm just gonna keep using that word all night uh not because he 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 was not being truthful about the audition or about um about having a wife it was more uh that he, the fact that he loves someone else ever like that she could that doesn't her interpretation of things is you have to love me and only me so it's not so much that he didn't tell her it's the fact that he ever did love someone else that's how i that's how i interpreted the film in her in terms of why she did what she did where do you guys fall on that I think that that makes sense within the internal logic of that character of of Asami's character, but it's it's clearly unreasonable to expect a man in his thirties, forties, whatever, to not have had any love experience whatsoever. Now that said, I do wonder to what degree are we applying American courtship conventions and American ideas of dating onto a Japanese film that, that might be playing a different ball game. Now I am not an expert in Japanese culture. I've seen, you know, like I've seen a Kira Kurosawa films and that's literally the extent of my uh, my Japanese education because I'm a product of the American school system um, so I, I but I just wonder to what degree we're applying our ideas of what is normal and abnormal onto a cultural uh, situation that we might not know everything about um, so when is the right date to tell her about your son? That might be different overseas. I, I, I don't know, but I assume that it's, I, I would, I, I don't know. I just want to that is possible. It's a cultural thing, but I, I would think that based off of her reaction to it, it's not a cultural thing. I mean, she seemed to think that that was a big lie. Like he didn't talk about how he was previously married and how she died and how he still was in love with her and still had his pic her picture on his desk. He didn't, he didn't talk about the fact that he had a child that she would have to be a mom to, you know, like that's, that's a bunch of things that you would think you'd need to know if you're going to be marrying somebody, you know, and, 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 and I, the thing is she had that previous relationship where she went 
we could talk about the bag man. The bag man does need to be discussed at some point. She was dating this guy and he was with another woman. And she was like, are you, are you fucking serious? Of course she took it out on the other woman and chopped her to bits and uh, chopped him to bits a little bit, just a little bit. Just a couple of things, like three fingers, an ear and a tongue, you know, just a little choppy choppy on him and stuck him in a bag. But um, like, there's a lot of people that have been lying to her and not only that, she's been through some shit in her childhood. So I guess it's like a buildup of people just consistently using her, objectifying her, and lying to her to, that that would build to this point where she might snap. Um, and and maybe it wasn't that egregious of a, a sin, as you guys call it, but maybe that was the the, the straw that broke the camel's back, or whatever you want to fucking call it. I don't know. Whatever right. whatever you guys want to call it. Yeah, I I mean I think well, thanks for bringing up the bag the person in the bag too, because that, that is a, a tiny bit of the film that occurs within the first hour and 45. So if we take this, uh, um, if we take this idea that the first hour and 45 or check that hour and 15, I'm sorry. Uh, if we take this idea that the first hour and 15 is objective, then, uh, then that bag person um, exists and it le it lends creep now the problem is is the ayama doesn't know about the the bag person so there's i don't know it, it seems like in many ways this film is trying to have have it both ways with reality um in ways that i'm not really sure lead to a a definitive interpretation of it um, and, and, and so, yeah, I mean, it's, it's definitely true that, that she's got some issues and that he has some issues, but I don't, I'm, by the end of it, I don't know what to think about how this film works on a, on a, on a, on a, uh, practical, this happened, then this happened, then this happened. And then he thought of a bunch of other crazy shit and that's the end of the movie. Um, so I, yeah, I sort of, I, I guess I'd sort of try and throw it back to Ben and be like, does the existence of the bag person in the first hour and 15 change your every, the last half hour is all a dream hypothesis? Fantastic question. Uh, I would say that we do see a bag thrown into her apartment, but we don't see it move. And we only see it move when the crazy shit starts. Now that might seem like a cheap cop out. Um, but just technical, technical little detail there. And, you know, as we all know, being technically correct is the best kind of correct. So I just, you know, want to go ahead and put that out there. Um, but if, if this was edited in and meant to be an interpret, like a literal, uh, inter, um, depiction of her throwing this like into her apartment. Yeah. I mean, like, I think that would lend credence to the fact that this is perhaps, uh, an actual series of events, you know? Um, but I don't necessarily think we have sufficient evidence to say that. But I do like the presence of it in the movie, just because it seems like, uh, like we were talking about before, about like the symbols of control and stuff. I mean, I think when you, when you talk about cutting off feet, that's that's fantastic as a way to depict that, right? It's like you know, I'm taking away your ability to escape me. You know, not just escape the house or like go places where I don't want you to, but now I have you forever, right? I mean, it's it's fantastic. You know, the taking away of the tongue. You don't get to have a voice or an opinion. Your your entire sort of like ability to make decisions for yourself is completely stifled and taken away. Um, so like the the bag person is just like it, the the existence of this in the movie is a fantastic tool, but I'm not convinced that it was that 
in the first half of the movie. It's interesting. If you, you know, uh, the more I think about it, there's really a, to kind of shift a little bit from the interpretation of whether it's a dream or not at the end, there, there is the bag sequence sort of prompted me to think about this film as kind of a reversal of a, of a kind of patriarchal system. And I don't, I want to be very careful as I say that because I don't necessarily think this is a feminist film and maybe we can get into why I, I don't think so. There's definitely sexism in it and there's definitely a reversal of that sexism, a dominance at the end of Asama over Ayama. Uh, but I, you know, when I, when I saw the bag person to me, it was almost like, um, you know, t it, 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 with especially the torture taking out the tongue and then eventually for Ayama removing his feet, it's almost like you can't leave. You, you actually just said all of it. You can't leave. You can't speak. Um, you know, there's a sense in which. Uh, if Oyama came across one of the other women and married her five years in, seven years in, maybe a lot of that would be happening to her. Maybe in her life, she wouldn't be able to go out and, and, and have a job. Maybe they'd have another kid. You know, maybe she would essentially be, maybe women in that culture, maybe even in ours, are silenced and aren't given a voice or traditionally have not been given a voice. They're not been able to, they're housewives. I mean, maybe, maybe that pet Maybe that, I know it's, Shara is saying notes about MRA talking points through images. I, I like, I gotta be really careful how I navigate this because I did kind of get some of that in this, right? So like the bag dude, or as we're saying, since it shouldn't be gendered, Shara says we should call it bag kin. Since, since Mr. Bagkin, um, you know, doesn't, uh, it, it's kind of almost like uh, Asami's pet, like ha like housewife. It was almost like her, her housewife, right? Maybe we could look at it that way. Um, you know, and, and in that sense, her actions seem like a kind of outcry, like a, a, a subjugational outcry and, and an act of, you know, extreme retribution on behalf of women, right? Let's throw that out there. That's a very obvious interpretation of this film that I've read through and through again. And I'm, I'm open to it and I, I, I get some of that in there, but I, I kind of need more to feel like this is more to feel like this is actually a feminist film. Like it's not enough to have sexist themes and to reverse those sexist themes. I feel like there needs to be more of that. And I guess it really comes down to how we define what a feminist film is. And there's tons of disagreement on that. So I, I all I basically want to say by this is I feel like there are feminist elements. There's reversal elements in terms of, of, of the sexes. And uh, I'm just curious what you guys think about that. Uh, if I could, like, I'm gonna, I'm gonna interject yeah, for just. I would second. love for Ben. I was like, oh, please, Ben, oh, say something. Yeah. Um, okay. So just one more point uh, to to layer onto that. Um, I think we saw too maybe some commentary on the job thing. You know, at the beginning of the movie, he's like, well, possibly she has a job, but through the act of her feeding uh, our our bag being um, with her own sort of uh, vomit, I guess, almost like a baby bird. I mean, it's it's almost saying it's like I am literally not not food. I, I don't give you food. I literally am your source of food. I am your nutrition. And without an ability to have a job and to have your own income, I think a basic fear that a lot of people trapped in that situation, a lot of women trapped in that situation would say, you know, how am I going to take care of myself? <laughs> right. I mean, it gets to that sort of like basic layer. Um, but yeah, just like to go ahead and, and layer that on there. But for for this to be, I think, truly a feminist film. Um, that person who overthrew those gender roles and kind of like reverse that would have to be kind of like either like at least an anti-hero or, you know, ultimately the, the hero in the film, the fact that this is shown as a horror, I think still depicts those in a very negative light. Right. So I think it more supports the, uh, the traditional roles, um, through, uh, through the way it depicts them. Yeah. It's more of a reaction. It's more of a reaction to those. I think like her, her, right. you know, it, it's, it's not so much the, uh, 
yeah, I guess I guess I'll just leave it at that. To me, it's more of a an extreme sort of visceral reaction to the patriarchy, so to speak, if we want to look at it that way. But I I you're, I just feel like it would it, it just needs a lot more to do it. I I think a a film that comes much closer to uh, doing and being doing the types of things that you're talking about and being the type of feminist f film that we're we're wanting. A, and has a very, very similar dynamic is a film by Roman Polanski called, uh, Roman Polanski, little people, uh, called Venus in Fur. Uh, it's very similar in its structure, although it's it's a lot less postmodern and the dynamics between the two characters is, is relatively similar. Um, that said, I also found it interesting as we're talking about our, our bag person um, that I, they remove the she removes the three fingers and the one that she keeps is the ring finger uh so the the fingers on his hand is so the only finger that he has left is is the ring one and in, in addition to that um it's almost shakespearean in the sense that she removes uh in titus andronicus uh they cut off Lavinia's hands and pluck out her tongue so she has no way of communication. So it is, uh, I, I just sort of picking up on Ben's point, how she has removed this person's ability to have any interaction with the larger world because he cannot write and he cannot He can speak. say kneel though. He right. He can kneel. Move. No. <laughs> Exactly. Uh, yeah, I mean, I think that, well, it's, as I said, I sort of just wanted to bring up the, the Shakespearean point. Uh, Shayra, I know oh, that you really want, to, uh, really want to jump on the feminist uh, or anti-feminist reading I, of this film. You know, I, I, I've seen that there are people that have a feminist read of it and an anti-feminist read of it. Um, I will say if it's trying to be feminist, they've, they've only achieved it in that they showed how fucking pathetic it is to be afraid of women having any kind of strength or any kind of control or any kind of power in a relationship. They, they've perfectly portrayed why that's a silly, silly thing to be scared of. Because these guys looked ridiculous. Being upset at women in a bar for laughing and, and talking about, oh yeah, you need a wife with skills. You gotta get a wife with skills. I was like, oh, this is Napoleon Dynamite? Like, oh yeah, women like men with skills. Like, I, I swore to God I was watching Napoleon Dynamite with this shit. It's It's... It's a simplistic view. Um, you should be falling in love with people you fall in love with, not trying to look for someone with fucking piano and ballet skills. Um, I, I mean, I'm sure that is enticing to some people. I even recently watched uh, an H3H3 podcast where uh, Philip DeFranco was talking about how he got catfished. And the way he got catfished was this girl said that she uh, was a ballet dancer at Juilliard and, and he did fall for her. And, and it was a very painful situation to find out that he'd been essentially pranked by this 16-year-old girl in Kansas. Uh, I guess those ballet skills can uh, entice the men folk. Uh, I guess that's something guys are into. <laughs> I don't I didn't I don't know how this is a thing. But um I, I guess it's cool when when people have things that are outside of you that they have hobbies that that they're not going to be completely dependent on you. And maybe that's really what he was trying to portray is that he's wanting somebody who it, well, yeah, the flexibility thing, Jim. <laughs> maybe it's maybe it's about the flexibility, but no, I think it is about the fact that you want you, you want to have a partner who can actually do something outside of you, and actually can have a life outside of you, so that they're not 
on that creep level. Maybe that's what he was trying to say. And then maybe that's why his fears manifested into a, a dream sequence of her being completely dependent on him. But um, guys, we need to be matchmaker. Creep Mark Duplass meets Asami. Bam, we set him up, hook him up. So that's our real that's our real pitch for creep two or creep three. Um, Asami, not... Asami, and uh, well, we'll just say Peach Fuzz because his name changes every time. Yeah, he's yeah. gonna he's gonna put his Peach Fuzz mask on. She's gonna say, "All right, knock my head off with this axe," and she's gonna go, "I got something better." And she brings out the wire and actually does it. And then he's happy, she's happy, she goes, and she then goes, it ends with a Disney kitty, logo. Kitty, kitty, kitty. Yeah, she goes kitty kitty, and then Disney logo. They both live happily ever after, or she does. The end. That'd be great. Great film. Oh, uh, fun fact about Kiri, Kiri, Kiri. Um, when she's doing the kitty, kitty, kitty. It is interpreted as deeper, deeper in the English language version. Um, it's actually more of a, a an exclamation of severe pain. So the only reason why I know this is I've read certain manga and stuff. So like usually you, like if you stub your toe, you're going to go, Kiri. <laughs> it's like, ah, fuck. So when she's doing it all cutesy-wootsy, it's really fucked up. But my favorite interpretation uh, is the German um, translation makes it into tickle tickle, which I think is so fucked up and amazing. And I'm I'm gonna go with the German interpretation <laughs> of kitty kitty, tickle tickle. Um, that's that's uh, sadistic as fuck, and I thought you couldn't make that scene more sadistic than what it was. Uh, I, you know, and as I said before, like the performance in that little bit was was fantastic. Um, one thing I, I I sort of wanted to throw us back to, if we if we could, um, this idea that he wants a woman with a certain a certain set of skills, uh, a, a particular set of skills. No, I, the, the, she wants, I, I think that that, like, I didn't judge him as much for that as I think we have as, in, our, in our conversation here. And the reason for that is I think that often we, in the abstract, we are very vague about the things that we want in a partner. That often we're, we're like, I want her to be funny or pretty or ballet like you know and it's it's this it's this set of it's this set of ideas that we sort of abstractly think of in our head and we hope that the person that we meet ends up being um all the things that we didn't think to want and I think that that so I wasn't as judgmental of him for not having a specific idea. And in fact, um, there was, there's a, a reply there where he's like, well, I'd like her to play piano. And, and, uh, and his friend says, well, you know, your, your dead wife played piano or your dead wife was, yeah, had a similar set She of had skills. skills. <laughs> <laughs> she had skills. Um, if we want to make it jokey or, uh, sexy. Um, but yeah, like, I, I think that, uh, it, it sort of goes to some of the, one of the themes that we were talking about earlier uh, about how dating is a performance. And in many cases, I think in the dating world, it's and speaking as the, uh, the, one of the, the, the token single person is, is part of the group. Um, I, I think it's, it's natural. Well, it's common 
to not have a, a clear, definitive picture of what the other person, the object of one's affection is going to be. Um, actually, I think now we need to have a deadly analysis dating page. Um, I think we should put that together. Uh, we, have, we have some singles up in this uh, group and uh, we, we will hold auditions for any girls who would like to date some of the guys from this uh, show. No, so, no. <laughs> so um, all you have to do is just come to us. We'll, we'll get on a video chat and then we'll just ask you a series of questions. If you don't make it, you might become an actress. I don't know. It could work out for you. You'll become famous. You could be famous just like Julia Roberts and Hepburn. <laughs> <laughs> What's really going to happen is if, and if anyone actually does send us a fucking email, I'm just going to send it straight to Jim. Male or female, it's going to Jim. Send your resume. Uh, no, no, <laughs> no. Deadly analysis singles. <laughs> Wait, weren't we just saying like 10 minutes ago about how he was like an example of the evil fucking patriarchy? And that would what, be that would be us too, obviously. Yeah, what, I, what follows from that is that we are also evil. That's all. That's all that follows from that. And nobody here has nothing wrong with that. Yeah. Uh, I, I'm, I'm right there with you, Jim. I hope that I hope that my perspective or the perspective I've offered has been one that is not hard on him for that as well either. I, I certainly can forgive him for that. It, it's, it is the deception part of the audition to me that that was uh, that bothered me about our main character. It did not bother me that he was looking for something specific at all. Um, I totally get that, man. I mean, there's nothing wrong with that. It, it, to a certain extent, I think you could probably argue she was too. I mean, we all do that, right? Even even if we see it as a dichotomy between those subjugated and those that have power and those that are dominant, that's still something that I think is there. Almost impossible not to be there for everybody. So I that doesn't necessarily bother me so much about him. Um, I would you want to know what does bother me though? Do you guys want to know the one part of this film? This film was pretty boring. I was yawning through most of it. To me, it was boring. I'm not trying to shit on anybody else. It was boring to me. The one part that affected me, do you guys want to know what it was? Oh, oh, I have a better idea. Can you guys guess what part was the part that affected me? Hmm, I'm going to say the vomit milk sequence. Yes, I couldn't do it. I actually got into the fetal position with my fingers in my ear going la 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 because I couldn't even hear it. Even hearing it was too much and I started gagging. That was so yeah. grotesque and it yeah. fucked me up. Well, the audio is the worst part of it. It's like you hear the milk and then the vomit you're like ah, ah. I mean like uh, honestly he seemed to react to it just fine. Like it seemed to be perfectly delicious. I don't know what you guys' problem is. Yeah, ben, yeah Ben's over saying... there like I'm eating cereal as he's watching it. Ben's, <laughs> he's like, <"Yeah."> yum. <laughs> I, I was like I was sitting there like that's not real vomit. That's not real vomit. That's not real vomit. <laughs> I learned during Raw not to eat food while watching horror movies. God, now I want some Captain Crunch. Why did you do that? Shut Why up. did you do that? That sounds so good. Doesn't that sound so good right now? Mm. I swear if you guys ever eat cereal during the, this, like these shows, I'm going to probably be like, I got to go. The next session, I'm going to be eating Captain Crunch. I'm going to be going, Kiri, Kiri, Kiri. That's what I'm going to do. That's what I'm going to do. Yeah, so uh, I just like usually okay, so I know like I usually try to get like a beverage associated with the movie. Uh, like I just really feel like I lost out on an opportunity this time. I mean, I'm really disappointed that I didn't. Think we should have all had white Russians. <laughs> yeah, some, yeah, yeah. <laughs> That's the audition drink. Is is I know that this is a known for the Big Lebowski stuff too, but 
We're going to white Russians for this uh, particular film. If you don't have a white Russian when you watch this film, you're not watching it properly. Yeah, so there you go. When you send in your emails and pictures, make sure you're posing with a white Russian. Um, all right. And then we turn into the uh, naked gun gag. Uh, coming. All right. Uh, go ahead, Noah. I was just going to ask if you guys had anything else specifically you wanted to add. This is I, we're, we're, uh, this film did not strike me as one in which we'd be all over the place, but the more we talk about it, the more I realize why this film puts you all over the place. There's so many different things going on, and when you, especially when you even begin to think of it as uh, being having a dream sequence that may be lasting longer than than everything's real, and maybe maybe it's the whole end of the film. I think it brings out all these other things that. I just didn't even think about. Um, so there's like feminist things. There's uh, Japanese-esque inception type shit going on, apparently. Um, you know, I, did you guys have anything else you wanted to add? We've sort of hit on a little bit of the morality stuff, a little bit of the feminist stuff, and a little bit of uh, the inception stuff. Can't even believe I'm saying that. Uh, and 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 Mr. Bagkin and him. Mr. Bagkin. Well, yeah. I, I, I think Mr. it's I important. It doesn't even work. Yeah, Bagkin. I think it's important to talk about uh, the importance of this film. Like, I know that it bored me, but I watched it a bajillion years later, and after so much stuff has been made, um, we had people like Rob Zombie, Eli Roth, uh, and a, a few others that walked out of this film, could not take it, and then they were like, I can do better. <laughs> that's, that's so weird to me. That's Maybe it's just, I'm right so, there with you, Barrett. Like, maybe it's, we've seen too many gory movies. I, I can't imagine walking out of this movie being grossed out at all, like anywhere near. The vomit part was a, a bit much for me. But other than that, like, the kitty kitty, I thought it was kind of cute. I was like, aw, she's so cute <laughs> and creepy. And please don't do that to me, lady. But <laughs> she's cute. I don't know. Yeah, I saw that as like, I saw that as a very, I mean, it's deeper, deeper, the clear. The clear like thing is that she's fucking him. Like it's deeper. De she's doing him now, right? It's she's got the. We go back to that. I really think that you can see this movie very clear when you look at it through the lens of power, right? If you look at that and see where it's where it's track it throughout the film. At the very end, it's her essentially doing him, penetrating him, so to speak. You know. Yep. But uh. And she she got right up in that gut. <laughs> she got right up in that gut. <laughs> but it's true. Like it's. Uh, it's just a power a power shift, and it was probably important um, not only for horror movies, but also for you know Japanese culture. It it it, it is an important film. Um, I don't want to shit on it just because I didn't get that scared of it because it's a different time period now. There, there's importance to what that film did. In fact, it, it is in the One Thousand and One Movies to See Before You Die in my in my book. It there there is importance to this film, but it just didn't affect me like. Some horror films do. So, um, but I want to give it some credit for what it accomplished. I mean, we got a lot of torture porn now because of this film. A lot of directors were like, that's fucked up. I can do that worse. <laughs> like, I'm going to fuck people up more. Um, and it and it created a hostel. And, and Rob Zombie films, holy shit. <laughs> if you haven't watched those, <laughs> they're, they're fucked up. So, um, so I, I should I be blaming it. Takeshi. I, I should, I should yeah. be blaming him for the creation of a lot of shitty horror films. Some of those are good, but most of go. those are shitty. Torture so yeah, porn. thanks, man. Thanks, man. Thanks for creating that torture porn genre for us, or at least being integral to it. 
Well, it's once again, Hollywood learning the wrong lesson though, because this is a film that takes its time to build up to the torture porn. And a lot of those Rob Zombie films and hostile, like the, the shitty horror films that you're talking about are films that go straight to the torture porn and forget about all of the, the hour and 15 minutes that leads up to it. Um, that's what makes this film better, not shitty in my view. Uh, because it 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 takes its time. Once again, it's it, Hollywood always does this. They always they're always really good at at shooting the bullseye of the wrong target and focusing on the wrong aspect of the film. the The fact that this takes so much time to build up to that is what makes the horror, the the torture sequence uh, more effective. Let Let me ask a question: Are there any American films that do this that do it well? that do it better, that maybe have the buildup and then uh, you earn, you let, let's call it earning the torture. Are there any American films in which you earn the torture? Ben has one. I have one. I have one and I think it's Creep. <laughs> ah. I think it's a perfect example of an extremely slow build, a protracted sort of like tension and awkwardness. And suddenly, if you haven't seen the movie before at the very end, you get that, holy shit, that actually happened. And it's not even that violent. It's, it's, you know, it's not even that bad. It's just one very well-placed act of violence that highlights the entire film. That's a really good example. It's a French film, but uh, Venus and Fur uh, does does uh, uh, audition, but better um, in my view. I, I put that miles above uh, uh, audition. Uh, but once again, though, it's French, so maybe that doesn't count. I don't know. I liked Hostel. Um, I, I thought that was a fucked up film. It really messed with me. It made me scared of traveling to Europe for a while. Uh, it got inside my head. Having a woman with her eye hanging out jump in front of a train is just, that is true horror to me. And I'm like, holy fuck. <laughs> that messed with me for a while. So, uh, But I do appreciate a slow build. I do appreciate that. And, um, um, and I also appreciate with Audition... The fact that it is open to interpretation. Is he dreaming? Is he not? I don't know. Uh, what what are they trying to do? Is it anti-feminist? Is it feminist? Who knows? Um, the fact that it's open to interpretation means there's a lot of layers to it. And it means that it's good. <laughs> it's a good film. It's just, uh, it, it did not scare the shit out of me at all. I was just grossed out by vomit. So <laughs> that's, a, that, that's a shame too. Yeah, that's a shame when it, when, when the, you know, you feel like you have to fall back on the visceral. Fall, I use the term fall back on the visceral, but I, I think... Yeah, I think the goal, maybe that's one of the few things we could say might be actually be one of the, the criticisms of this film is that um, it's not meant to be in this movie that you fall back on it. It's it's that hour and 15 are supposed to do things that maybe just didn't didn't do for us. Um, and just to go back really quickly to the, uh, as I was asking the question, the only um, uh, other film that I can think of, oh shit, now I forgot it. Okay, well, that's great. I've got to add another one. Uh, yeah, I've got to add Bug. Not to, not to. Give away too much, but I know just pitching for next week, uh, the movie that we're going to see, Antichrist, is is a huge example that actually sort of like that did get under my skin a little bit. Where you have like an extremely slow, kind of like a little bit of an abstract movie where you know there there are scenes at the very end that I think are are well placed enough and well done enough to sort of like highlight the overall film. Um, and whereas like Creep maybe didn't like scare me like too much or whatever, like Antichrist really like got under my skin, right? Um, but I feel like that's a really good example too, just to, just to throw that to next week. So, you know, get ready for that, right? Sweet, sweet. 
You said bug. Yeah, both of these are on our list. Bug and uh, Antichrist. Yeah, so that's good. That's kind of cool. I, I the one, uh, the one that I was thinking of that I had a brain fart uh, over was uh, the Invitation. The Invitation, which is on, uh, on I think it's still on Netflix. Uh, mo most of the entire film's dialogue, like a dinner table dialogue, and then just an extreme act of violence at the end. So yeah, um, that's interesting. So there are some, there are some kind of American analogs. Um, so that's interesting. Um, you guys have anything else you want to add about the film before we close up? I wish Jonah was here. Jonah's got to, Jonah needs to justify this film, just like he did The Lobster. Jonah, right. if you're watching this after the fact, man, The Lobster than this, please explain. Explain. Please. Need explaining. Yeah. I, I actually, I don't, I, I'm not against this film. Um, I think it just, there's too many people telling me, oh, it's fucked up. Oh, yeah. it's fucked up. And then by the time I watch it, I'm like, kitty, kitty, kitty. Okay, it's cute whatever, like, cute torture lady, okay. Like, I, I, I've, I've watched enough anime where I've seen Yandiri, and I'm like, yeah, okay. And? Yeah, yeah, <laughs> yeah that would, I, again, I think that would really spoil the movie for me if, if people kept blowing it up like that. A absolutely. That's happened with uh, a few other films for me, too. Um, I'll go ahead and rate this movie, then. I, it, to me, it, it didn't scare me um, at all. So, like, on a scale of 1 to 10, I mean, I'll give it maybe a 3 just from the last 15 minutes. Um, that didn't really scare me. It just sort of grossed me out, but it didn't even do that well because I think I've been so desensitized. Like, American horror films are extremely violent. Like, just all of them are, like, we have, in, in my opinion, a very uh, just crazy series of standards when it comes to violence that maybe other countries aren't don't necessarily have. I know, ja I know that there's a lot of other... Um, Mickey films that are, are are way more violent than this, but um, yeah, it just didn't didn't have that for me. It didn't scare me. Uh, it was visceral. Visceral isn't fear to me. Uh, it may be for some people, but it's it's very different. Maybe a three, maybe a three. Like really, the scariest thing is the dude in the bag, bagkin. I'm not gonna say dude. Look at me. Look, at, I can't even. I can't help but talk in male female language. It's a lesson out there, from one liberal to the rest of you. All those MRAs that are watching, it's a lesson in there. All right. Um, so yeah, uh, I say three out of ten in fear overall. You know, this film is extremely influential, so that's probably going to be the piece that makes it, that's going to be the piece that raises it at all. Um, I'd probably give it a, a 5 out of 10. I, it's really low for me. Um, I, you know, it just didn't scare me. Uh, it, it was a little boring at times. I, I did like the idea of earning the last uh, 15 minutes. Uh, that's the piece. I, I'm trying to find a middle ground between being like, I it's just, I'm a little bored. And then also I, I kind of know what's going to happen at the end. So I should pay attention. And this is all going to lead up and it's important. Um, I did not expect the kind of ambiguity that we discussed about this at all. I did not come into this at all expecting to even talk about those things. I think Inception may have just fucked you guys up. You guys, did you guys see Inception like the other day? Is that what's happening here? Um, so yeah, I, I'd say like three out of 10 fear, five out of 10 overall. Um, I'd even go so far as to say it's, I, I, it's not a great film to me. I'm sorry. Like, I'm sorry out there world. I know this is a very beloved film. Um, Ichi the Killer, better, way better in my opinion for different reasons, but but uh, just a better film from the same director. So uh, yeah, that's my score. Uh, so, okay, I'll, I'll go next, because for the first time, I think, ever, my score is higher than Noah's. Um, I know, shocking. Uh, mind blown. The Okay, so here's... When I finished this film, I had to figure out how I was going to read this. Am I going to read this film as a traditional narrative um, 
in which A, B, C, A leads to B, leads to C, leads to D, leads to a guy getting his foot chopped off um, or piano wired off, uh, to be specific. And, or am I going to read this similar to Ben's interpretation uh, where it's, a lot of it is all a dream. And, and so then I have to take a sort of postmodern view and say, okay, how did this thing, uh, it, because it's very hard to uh, evaluate postmodern art in, in many ways. We just sort of have to look at it and say, okay, did I have a powerful emotional experience as a result of this film or a powerful intellectual experience as a result of this film? And in many ways I did. But because the film is not incredibly clear about how I'm supposed to interpret it, how I'm supposed to read it. Um, this is not David Lynch where he tells you in the beginning, in the first second, you're in for some crazy shit that's about to happen. Um, because I'm not, because there is this, this hour and 15, which to, to my mind is objective. Um, and then we go into postmodern mindfuck land. I, I'm not entirely sure how I need to approach this film and what the film is asking me to do as an audience member. That said, I, I will remember parts of this. There were parts of this that, that, that affected me. Uh, I think that there's, it's, it's a deceptively shallow film. That is, it looks shallow, but it's actually really quite deep. And I find that to be interesting. So overall, I'm going to give it a six. And then on the fear factor, which never means any fucking thing to me, I'll throw numbers out. Five is fine. Uh, it's like I'm not really interested in whether a film scares me. I'm interested in whether or not I... I had a powerful emotional or intellectual experience and uh, six I did. Uh, so it's a mild recommend for me. I, uh, I'm waiting for the day where we find a film that makes you shit your pants. That is my goal. My, my goal of this podcast has shifted to even being remotely about exploring the fundamentality of fear and just making you shit your pants, Jim. So that's my goal in this podcast. It is transitioned into that. Okay, good luck. <laughs> um, I can I suppose I can go next unless Sherry wants to. No, good. Okay. Um, all right. So I I alluded to this sort of in the beginning and in kind of like my uh, my short intro. Um, I think there are some things that were really interesting about this and that I do appreciate. Obviously, I do love a, a movie with a good slow build, and so I think that that's going to be one of the aspects that I appreciate most about this. Um. You know, even the fact that there were, or at least in my interpretation, many layers to be pulled through. I I, I do love more like postmodern kind of movies as well. But a lot of the handling of elements in this movie that could have potentially been much greater than they were seem to be a little bit awkwardly handled. So when you have kind of a kind of like that layered sort of almost postmodern kind of structure that you're you're trying to do, maybe um, his. Uh, the director's thought processes seem to be linear in the way that that was applied, right? So it's like, it's kind of like Jim was talking about. It's like where you don't really know how you're supposed to interpret it. I think the the reason for that for me is because it's like they tried to apply something that was a little more abstract, but the director couldn't escape a linear thought process in order to implement that. Um, and even sort of like the fundamental storyline here, aside from the way that it was structured, aside from the writing, you know, we we have the story of a person who 
has been seven years out of a marriage with a, you know a woman that he loved very much who died he, he lost her and he's been completely separated from dating and he's had a stable life he's trying to do his, the best he can for his son um and then maybe he kind of wants to reach out just a little bit but like he has this structure in place you know i i honestly i, I kind of resonate with that a little bit and so you know, I, I actually, I was married for a little while in college. Um, you know, I, I've dated since then, but the last relationship that I was in was probably a little bit catfishy before I moved to where I am now. And I'm honestly a little bit still like salty about that for a lot of reasons. And so like, I, I kind of understand where I think the protagonist in this film is sort of coming from. Like, you know, I, I personally sort of resonate with that a little bit. And because of that, this had the potential to be a movie for me that like really connected and that goes beyond just having good writing and like you know good screenplay and good structure and kind of like good filming uh like with the with um the seventh seal i mean the reason that i i rate that as my highest film of all time is because of something inside of me that it, that it resonated with and the way that i reacted to it so there's so much potential here and i totally get why it's influential as a film but <clears throat> i mean it just kind of like it went it went halfway like it just it was like a good attempt but maybe just kind of like fumbled you know i don't know man like there there was just something like that just really didn't get the distance there so i think i'm gonna have to agree with noah on this one and sort of give it a five you know i mean there there are cool parts of it there's a lot of potential but ultimately i think it failed to deliver so um i think the main theme of this film is loneliness that is throughout the entire film it's talking about loneliness and uh, I know that's a major issue in Japan. This is a major um, problem that people are dealing with. This is why there's high suicide rates. That's why there's a lot of people dealing with relationship issues. And I think it was playing into those fears. I think that's why this film happened in the way it did. Um, and I appreciate it for what it was at that time, for that culture. Uh, it did not affect me. It did affect me with the puke. I don't like puke. Fuck puke. Uh, but I, I have the same reaction to this film that I do to watching Jackass. So I don't know if that would necessarily resonate as a high level of fear <laughs> affecting me in this film. Uh, so it's it's really low. I'll give it a two for the scariness. But uh, as far as what the film does, I like where people built off of it. I like that it was a foundation for so many amazing horror films we have today. Um, and it, and it builds off of our loneliness and how we get afraid of being catfish. We get afraid of the fake shit that people portray towards us. So it plays into fears that are even still totally pertinent today. So um, I, I do have a pun, though, Noah. So I'm going to try to beat you on this. This okay. film, This film is about the agony of defeat. That is my that, pun for the you, you have destroyed all of my puns in the last nine months that I've tried to do for every intro. That was the best pun I think I've ever heard. <laughs> that was great. I'm just gonna have you do the fucking intros now. That was a that was a great pun. I, I worked hard at having a pun for this film. <laughs> it was a lot of work. But that being said, um I as far as it, it's 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 a six. It's uh, I I like where it came into something, but um, the film just didn't really hit me hard. I swear if I would have watched it in 99, not knowing what was going to happen, it probably would have a way different rating. But, you know, I'm a product of my time. I've seen some fucked up shit. Like, I, uh, cue, cue me looking into the distance with uh, some, like, nom shit happening in the background and sounds. Um, I, I've been through shit. It's, it didn't affect me that much. Sorry. 
Um, I apologize to all those that were affected by it in 1999. Um, I, so I've this is the much. same. This is the same score. Jim and Sherry, you guys have both. Was it six? Are you guys both sixes? Yes, yeah. I am. I am tied for the highest score, which is a first on the Deadly Analysis podcast. <laughs> Nobody, no other film has uh, have I had the tied for the highest score. So, wow, that's that's interesting. Uh, yeah, I, well, now shit. I mean, yeah, it, our next session we're doing um, we're doing Antichrist, uh, which is not a Kirk Cameron. Uh, Ray Comfort film, uh, and I'm sad to uh, say, uh, we will be doing uh, basically all of our next session will only be about William Defoe's dick. That's the entire show, because Shayra told me something about this movie that has never left me, and I just can't unsee it. You ever hear something you can't unsee? It's almost like the gerbil Richard Gere story. You can't unhear it when you see his face. That's the only you're just thinking a little gerbil gerbil, and they're going kiri kiri kiri. That's all I hear when I see Richard Gere now. Um, and so, yeah, so that there's some William Defoe stuff going on. But yeah, so uh, tune in. It's, so we're actually taking a couple weeks off. We've got Christmas Eve next Sunday. I think it's next Sunday. And then New Year's Eve the Sunday after that. So we're going to reconvene on the, uh, the Sunday after that, which I believe is the 7th of January for Antichrist. And I got to tell you guys, I think this is Ben's film, Antichrist. I am, of all of the movies we've had on this list, I am the most scared to watch this movie because I have heard what happens in some of it. Some, somewhere like Audition. I, someone kind of told me what goes on in Audition, and I, I was like, oh, I had that in my mind. So same sort of thing with Antichrist. I'm not looking forward to it. I'm probably going to you know, wear a chastity belt and cover my down there a little bit and just, nope, covers up, can't see it, don't look at it, pretend you don't have it, that sort of deal. Uh, but yeah, so get, join us uh, in a couple weeks for Antichrist, and then after that, we are going to be... Uh, we have a lot more films to cover after that. We're doing Bug and Session 9. So we're going to hit some modern stuff and then go back into the 80s and I think even uh, into the 60s at that point. So we're going to be all over the place. Um, so if you like what you saw here, uh, check us out on uh, Facebook, uh, Instagram, and Twitter. Uh, we're pretty active on social media. If you have any questions, shoot us a message. Um, and if you have any recommendations, that's one of the things I don't really ask much. Uh, if you have any recommendations for good horror films that you would like to see analyzed or reviewed, um, or for us to, you know, talk about the, the particular penises of the characters or the boobs of the characters in those films. We are, a, we will do it. We will do it. Um, so yeah, shoot us a message. I hope you like what you saw. Can I say one more thing before we leave? No. Do it. Uh, you hit 200 subscribers on your channel. So kudos to you. And also we've been around for about a year now. Once we go to Antichrist, it'll be closing in on a year that you've been doing stuff. So I want to send my congratulations to you and your project and stuff you've been working on. So I think it's, I think it's fun. I, I enjoy being here and, uh, you know, Merry Christmas and happy new year and all that fucking shit. And I'm <laughs> done with being sweet. <laughs> I should have just ended there. Happy new years, Merry Christmas and all that fucking shit. Dink. No, I, I appreciate, I'm glad you guys, I, I'm, congratulate you guys. You guys are an integral part of this podcast. Um, this is where we all make out, guys. We usually cut off here and do this. We all hug and make out with the camera off, but you get to see a little bit of deadly analysis love here. Uh, but yeah, that's a good point. We've been around for almost a year and we've, um, we have a lot of videos now. We're also uh, moving things over to MP3s, to iTunes. We're still going to be doing our live show, um, but uh, we're going to be a little more active in, in audio only. We're going to cut some of these sessions, not all of them, and put them on iTunes. So uh, we'll be on a lot of different mediums. We'll just be flooding the earth with our deadly analysis. Um, so yeah, I, I appreciate you guys more than you know for doing this session with us. Uh, now we should...
close this and make out off screen. So that's what we're going to do. You guys have a good night.